Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a running specialist biokineticist and coach. And I'm your co-host, Davey, a.k.a. Davey on the Run, a running enthusiast, influencer, and marathoner, and I love everything about running. As passionate runners, we look to use our knowledge and draw on past experiences to provide you with cutting-edge science and insightful information. We are going to be unpacking the fascinating topic of running with all stars, subject matter experts, and everyday enthusiasts to not only help you improve your running, but also ensure that you experience maximum joy with every step that lies ahead in your journey, wherever that may take you. This is how runners are made. It's how runners are made, baby. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you were saying that you believe that elite athletes and social runners and, you know, your ordinary runners aren't actually so different. Can you elaborate a bit more on that? You guys always talk about the love of running. Yes. Okay. I don't think in in Africa that the elite athlete run for the love of running. The love of running you people talk about doesn't it doesn't exist. It's a job. Yes, I told you that I came from a poor family. So when I was in Form 1, I had to drop out. Then I, I went I went to work in farms in Cape Town. Uh-huh. But, but I couldn't make it to take myself back to school. The first time Nahang ran a big marathon, I sat with her and I, I just said to him, understand that you know, this is the, how you get performance is being able to go deep and you know, you're going to feel a lot of pain and you've got to accept it. It's part of it, okay? And she laughed at me and she, she, just, she just said, coach, running, running is not pain. Yeah, this is not <laughs> difficult. Yeah, she, said, she said, you know, working as a young, young lady on, on a farm was, was far harder. We worked so hard that at night time we couldn't sleep at night. We cried in bed. We were in so much pain. So run, running was easy. I never saw a scientist become a good coach. So they, they say, you know, is coaching an art or a science? And we believe it's an art. Mm. Before getting on to today's conversation, we wouldn't be able to bring you our Making a Runner podcast without the support of our valued sponsors. This episode is proudly brought to you by On The Move. The four bros have been a big supporter of the work I do within the community. And they always aim to bring you the finest quality sports, health and lifestyle products to help you achieve and maintain all your desired health and fitness objectives. One of these products I am personally a big fan of is On Running. This sports apparel brand offers Swiss excellence, both in quality and performance, and has enjoyed key international design and technology awards. Even though when it comes to running shoes, my advice to my clients is always to go on what makes them feel most comfortable, I can guarantee that whether you get yourself into a pair of on shoes for daily life, work or casual purposes, you will not regret it. The shoe is extremely comfortable, stylish and is my go-to for these long hours spent on my feet, especially at work. Make sure to check them out at onthemovestore.com or simply pop into one of their stores in Durban, Joburg or Cape Town. This is a top tip from me to you. Now sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Alright guys, Coach Andrew Boyens, Nahing Katala. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really, really appreciate you making the time out of your busy schedules to be here. You know, we, we are super excited to have athletes and coaches of your caliber on our podcast. I think Davey can second that. I'm just very excited to officially meet an elite athlete and an elite coach. Yeah. It's, um, it's a big moment. Yeah. So we're going to be discussing a few different pointers from a coach level, from an athlete level. 
thereafter we're just going to see where this conversation goes and and just have some fun remember guys making a runner this is what we're here for we're going to be unpacking any topic related to running and how we can improve from a social level right up until a professional level so i want to start with coach andrew tell us a little bit about your coaching philosophy and how you got to where you're at right now in your coaching career Guys, thank you for having us this morning. It's great, great to be down here. You've asked, us, you've asked me a couple of questions. <laughs> Loaded question. <laughs> first, first, I'd just like, like to say I'm incredibly best with very talented, hardworking, dedicated athletes. I don't, I don't specifically have a coaching philosophy. Okay, I think I follow the, you know, the Italian marathon system or Italian training system, which is used by 90% of all athletes around around the world. The Italians are the are the experts and the leaders in. In training, I think I can say one thing. What's had the biggest effect on my career is a, a friend of mine, a guy called Gabriele Nicola. I met him. I met him via our, by the agents I athletes run for Dimadon Athletic pro- Promotions in Torino, in Italy. I chatted to him early on, and yeah, he was just an incredible guy that uh, invited me to go and spend time with him in E10. He set up the first training camps in Kenya and Ethiopia. You know, he arrived with absolutely nothing to set up the first camps there. I spent very interesting time time there with him. And when I went there, I wanted to go and find the magical program for my athletes. And when I got there, I realized that I, I knew everything I needed to know about coaching. But what I needed to, to realize is how to work with the athletes, how to balance their training, you know, how to know they're not overdoing it. That's that's one of the biggest things I learned, yeah. That's fantastic to hear. And I mean, prior to that, what made you decide to, to get into coaching? in the first place because I'll definitely unpack that whole Kenyan situation I'll be interested to hear <coughs> much more about that when I was at school I was very lucky to have a coach called uh, Richard Turnbull Richard Turnbull coached Matthew Stomani who was his greatest athlete plus he coached William Otolo if, if you look at his training philosophy in those days it's exactly the same as what we do today so Richard was ahead of his time he he emigrated to Australia he's got a biokinetic bi- practice there he was a biokineticist okay. yeah. and he worked for Val Mines later came down to be the sports officer at Marysburg University so I learned a lot there I trained with good athletes there when I was very young I trained with William Motolo and after uh, Richard left okay I, I helped William with his training so we still use some of the routes today used to prepare for the first time you won SA Marathon Champs that was a special occasion because he beat Settlele Cinque so it was all a, a mind game to beat it and those guys were running you know, 2.8 or 2.10 every year in South Africa so um, sorry Andrew I just wanted to ask you're an athlete now coach what was your favourite distance? 1500 when I was a junior and okay. then, and then 5000 and then cross country running and I, I, we ran up to half on the road ok so 5000 PB 1443 unbelievable 1443 okay wow so very quick okay well Nahing tell Nahing. us about your your 5000 your meter. turn <laughs> good afternoon guys uh, my name is Nehang. I belong to Lesotho, currently living in Peter Marisbeck. I'm working with coach Andrew Boynt. Um, I'm running a long distance, but specializing in marathon. And when you say specializing in marathon, you mean that you've just recently run the Olympics and you've been at two Commonwealth Games. Yeah. So you're absolutely amazing at marathons. Let's unpack that a bit more whilst we're just on the topic. Which has been your favorite marathon ever to run? I think Cape Town Marathon 2018. 2018, okay. And what was your time there? 2.33, my first time ever. 2.33? Your first marathon, your first Cape Town marathon. The first time I ran Cape Town marathon, it was 2017. I ran 2.421. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And I came back to run SA champ. Then I came position five. That is when I met coach. So, co- so coach saw the talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was the time when coach realized the potential in me because he spoke to me and said, you can run much better. You've got talent, I can see. So we spoke about that and he came to Lesotho. Then 2017, I, I went to Cape Town Marathon. That is when I ran 2.33. So my first marathon was 2.41. Yeah, let me let me jump in there. Yeah, I, I saw her name run at the SA Half Marathon Champs and her husband ran there that day. And and sorry, her husband, your husband, Nheng, is also an elite athlete? Absolutely. Yeah, Olympic athlete? Yes. Okay. He's got, in, in one year, he ran 28.30, 61.50, 2.11. 28, 30, 10K, 61, 21Ks, and what was the marathon? 211. 211. Yeah. So, Nahe, is that what um, you and your husband bond over? Do you, did you guys fall in love with running and then meet through running? or? Yeah, we met through running. Okay. Uh, what are you training for at the moment? Now, I'm focusing on 10Ks, okay. but uh, I'll add 21 kilometers for SA Champs. Okay. So, when's your next race? Upside 10K. It's on 15th May. 15th of May, okay. It's a month and a bit to go. Six weeks. Six weeks. I see Andrew knows exactly. Six weeks, 12 hours, couple seconds. And with your, what is your current 10k PB? 32.18. Sure. Yeah, quick. Um, what is um, Taylor's PB? Because Taylor holds the record, if I'm not mistaken. Or no, no. Taylor, Taylor's the national champion. Okay. Taylor's run 32.10. 32.10, okay. Yeah, Nang was second at that race. That yes, day. I've just seen a picture of you two at, the, at that episode. It was a 12K, wasn't it? Was it the no. Cape Town one? No, Nang was second in the, in the 10K. And in the 12K in Cape Town as well. Okay, awesome. Wow, guys. So now, just, just sitting here, we know that we're sitting with some with some real talent. Now, we, we started off by saying it, but now... Now they've really spoken the, the talk. Yeah, the credentials are out there. They're out there. Just going back to Andrew's conversation of the, the training camps in Kenya and, you know, saying that he knew how to coach athletes, but he really got to see the more emotional side of how to manage an athlete. I'd like to get into that a little bit more because I think it's very easy to, you know, pick up a book, find out what you need to do with your coaching, but managing an athlete is a completely different story. Very interesting. You know, I was in Kenya and there were six marathoners in a group that had been training together and the coach said to me, he says, these guys are all in the same shape. And he says, you know, there's a likelihood that they'll go and run a marathon and two won't finish, two will run incredibly well and two will have a problem in the race where some part of the body would give way and he said he couldn't tell you which, which who was going to be who and what it came down to is is basically said is that some of the guys overdo it in training uh, so they end, basically end up leaving the race in training and that's what we call balance and the balance is an interesting thing balance is you know balance between your between your family balance your training is balanced and for working guys that you balance in work okay you know many times if, if any of these are out of key for an elite athlete it shows in the performance you know many many times you know, when the guys coming up close to a race we, we see athletes reducing the training load and getting a muscle injury and it's actually possible for this to happen but what happens is the athlete's far more stressed there's a lot more muscle tension in the athlete and something goes you know he might might be worried about his family he's going to be away he might have financial worries you know, he's thinking about the race he's looking for he's waiting for his visa to arrive so all of these things compound so we you know we, we really take these things into account you know to make sure that that everything is balanced in that way so that athletes can perform 
So before um, we stepped into the uh, room here just to start the podcast, we had a conversation and you were saying that you believe that elite athletes and social runners and, you know, your ordinary runners aren't actually so different. Can you elaborate a bit more on that? Yes, yeah. You know what? I I think the social runners run for enjoyment and you you can only have enjoyment when you're running nicely and you're injury-free, etc. And the same thing that you you have a balanced life that, that, you know, you're professional in your your job and and you do well in your job. You look after your family and you and you spend enough time with your family and at the same time you can enjoy your sport if, mm. if any of those are out of key you're doing it for the wrong reasons sure okay look i think it's important to note that added level of stress from being a professional athlete i mean hang you can tell us a little bit about that because there's that overhanging need to perform if you're yeah. not performing what are you doing you can call yourself an elite athlete you can have the credentials the times but if you're currently not performing then the sponsors start calling you know it, it, it's a slippery slope to get into have you ever felt that type of pressure when when training or when prepping for a race uh, thank you i think the most important thing as athletes, I think, have to keep consistency. Like from the training, you need to know what to do, what not to do. Every time you're not feeling well, you, you speak to coach, oh, I'm not feeling well today. So that coach know exactly what he is working on. I think when it comes to, to, to sponsors, it's very, very difficult because sometimes you see um, when you got injury, the, spo- the sponsors run away. <laughs> um, but I never had something like that. So I'm new in sponsors. Thank you so much for Adidas. You know, initially when I when I met Neheng, I had an athlete in the suit. Well, I still got the athlete in the suit to uh, my, my clock in Khabotlani. He's a two oceans winner and he'll be lining up for the two oceans uh, in two weeks' time. But yeah, I think if he runs to his form, he'll, yeah, he'll be a, a big contender. And when I first met Neheng and, and her husband, I, I said to him, I said to him, my philosophy is to, is to run the important races not to race a lot okay you're going to earn far less money mm. far less money but the the big money will come on its own when you run the times and and that was the case you know where where there were many races Nehenk and her husband could have could 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 win every weekend but the, the trick was to you know, to go for the main races and and by, by achieving the times uh both athletes have got support from the Lesotho National Olympic Committee, which does a, does a fantastic job. And then Heng has got, got an Olympic Solidarity Scholarship. And uh, what exactly does that scholarship entail? Dollars. Dollars. Yeah. Money sign, okay. Yes, yeah. Right. So the, fund, the funding's there. And, and the Solidarity Scholarships that the Olympics give is, is fantastic. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's world worldwide, plus there's, there's allocations for travel, medical Bios, wow. physios, absolutely everything, yeah. Mm. And then Joseph Neng's husband, he's just signed with Carl Mining Company, which is a big diamond mine in Lesotho, okay? And that's because of his his performances. And then as a as a technical sponsor, you know, we've got Adidas on board that's that's really after the ladies and gents, obviously with fantastic equipment. And we've we've always used Adidas because you know Demodon Athletic Promotion is they they've got a thing called the Adidas Marathon Project with it, Adidas. And there you've got likes of four or five marathon majors mm. last year winners. I was actually going to ask yeah. how you got involved with Adidas in the first place, but that makes complete sense. Whilst you're talking about sponsors, okay, so so you guys are affiliated with Adidas, professional coach, professional athlete. Andrew, what do you look for in an athlete if you're going to go and say to Adidas, listen, I've found this athlete, I think they have lots of potential, I want to sign them up, or, or is there something that you do, or talk us through that sort of process? You know what, there's, a, there's an incredible amount of talent in this country. Yeah. We just had the National Junior Championship in Pochestrum, and the, the talent 
talent is phenomenal, but nothing happens to that talent. I, sure. don't, I don't know. I don't know where it goes. You know, the days when South Africa always had far stronger runners than Kenya or Ethiopia, and in those days we had an incredibly strong university system, technicon system, plus the, the mines, the police, the military. Everyone had running clubs. Mm. Nowadays we've got these these so-called commercial clubs that that give athletes a small stipend. Okay? Yeah, and the athletes made to believe that that he's a professional runner. We, we in most instances they they're not good enough. And I just feel that the best years of an athlete's life when he should be making an income are wasted. You know, okay. You know, just, just running. I firmly believe that a lot of the people could still run at the same level and work, you know. So would you say that there's an abundance of talent and not enough sponsors in South Africa to match the talent level? There's a lot of our talent being wasted. What's your opinion on that? There's a lot of talent. A lot of the talent goes 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 to America into the college system, which is okay. not always good because it's very competitive there and it's it's a points based system where they athletes are running twice a weekend, etc. So a lot of the athletes there are not improving. So I really don't believe that money's gonna make athletes any better. Yeah, sure. Athletes that, that's actually got to take responsibility for himself. You know, if he's got if he's got just got shoes and you know, some basic nutrition mm. that's, that's enough to start but yeah. I also think it's the system the overall system of having something for athletes put in place to be highlighted at an early stage in their in their lives or in their career and be able to be nurtured into the athletes that they potentially can be the potential that athletes got is is clearly seen you know, after a minimal amount of training any any athlete you know you, you pump the engine but a fart leg get a couple of moderate runs you can see what you've got yeah and, and there once you seen what you've got you've got to decide which direction you're moving in what area is right for the athlete to run once you decide to move in that area you start specializing and then you take the athlete but after the initial phase what you see there is there's no miracle that's going to make an athlete out of yeah, something sure. it's not there for sure so Neheng I want to bring you into the conversation just briefly telling us a bit about your experience coming from Lesotho as a runner how did you get into running in the first place and how did you develop as a runner before you met Coach Andrew? Thank you so much. I started running when I was young. I was, I think I was 12 to 13 years. So I started running at primary level. And did you know right away, even when you were 12, 13? Yeah, did you just fall in love with running from the beginning? No, we ran at, at the primary, at the school, at the school level. Yeah, school okay. level. So we had to run, just to run. So I ran 100 meters. Okay. <laughs> we all started there, I think so. Yes, I, sta- I started running 100 meters. Then I beat. I beat some of the ladies, so that is when my teacher realized that, oh, okay, Neheng, you can run. Then I started competing at primary primary schools, so I, I beat all those girls there. Then I, I started training and do some track. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I, I started moving to, to, to longer distance, which is 800 meters, 1.5 upwards. So... I first went to to Namibia for track and field. Then I ran 1.5. <laughs> they just they just make me run 1.5. But remember, I did run uh, 100 meters, and yes. they just moved me to run 1.5. Then I ran 4.37, if I'm not mistaken. Then uh, I went to Mozambique. I think it was 2007. Then I ran 800 meters. Uh, I came position three. Yes, with the time two sixteen. Yes, 
<laughs> I find it amazing how you remember those times. Yeah, I'm just and, yeah. and it was a long time ago. I can't even remember well. <laughs> then I moved to road races. It was 20, 2009. I ran 5Ks. Then I still won some races in, in, in 5Ks. Then, okay. I moved to, to 10 kilometers. <laughs> I love the so progression from, you know, <laughs> 100, 200, 400, 800, 1.5, <laughs> 1,000, 10. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I forgot about, I even ran 10,000, but On track. it was later, uh, yeah, it was later this year. If I remember well, I won some, some races in the Sutu, which is high altitude marathon, is well known. Yes. Um, then I, I moved to 21 kilometers. I still ran some races in the Sioux too. Then I first ran the OR Tambo, OR Tambo half marathon. Correct. I came position six and I ran one, I think it was 116 or something. Guys, let me come in there. I like the, you guys always talk about the love of running. Yes. Okay. I don't think in in Africa that the elite athlete run for the love of running. Really? No, not at all. The love of running you people talk about doesn't it doesn't exist. It's a job. Yeah, sure. It's a job and it, it it's to make an income. Okay. The minimum wage in in Lesotho when I first went there was was a thousand two hundred rand. It's gone up to about a thousand five hundred rand now. That's a six day working week. Oh. Yeah. Wow. As a as a factory worker or, or, or labourer. So so the option to be a runner is very very lucrative in the way that you could win one race and it would cover two years of salary. In Kenya, when an athlete decides, you know, I've, that's my last race, the shoes are left there, the athlete never runs a step again. Really? Yeah. I think, I mean, that, that's actually blown my mind a bit because I think, you know, we are speaking from a bit of a point of privilege. Obviously, yes. you know, we love running because we've, we've fallen in love with running, but thinking of it from that aspect is actually something I've never considered just because we love running so much. You know, we can relate to other elite athletes. We look up to, I mean, Naheng, I mean, I look up to you. You know, you're an amazing athlete. It's phenomenal. But it's such an interesting point that you've just made, Andrew. Yeah, and Ken, Kenyan athlete, uh, you see a good athlete, he's in the prime of his career and he'll just stop running because he feels he's made enough money, he can buy some land, he can start farming, he's, mm. he's built a house, he's got a tractor, yeah. he's done with running. It's not a passion, yeah. That's yeah. all they want. So so just out of curiosity, um, Heng, do you love running? I love running. Oh, like, <laughs> thank like, I love running. Thank goodness. All I can say is that when I grew up, I grew up in a, in a poor family, if I may say, but my, my, my family loved running, especially my dad. Like, I loved running, I loved running. So, so I just run like every day when I was in primary, uh, when I get to high school, like I kept on running. But there was some time, some point where it was very hard for me mm. uh, because I couldn't afford, my, my, my parents couldn't afford to buy me some shoes. Yeah. More of, of, of what athletes can, can use in terms of training. As you know, we need uh, running attire. Uh, it was very difficult for me, but I kept on running. Like, guys, <laughs> if, I, if I had to say I, I can talk the whole day sure. about my, my life, uh, it was very hard. My father uh, battled with cancer for so many years, and he died last year. 
I think it was February, yeah, from cancer. My father was only the source of income. My father had been been sick for so many years, but we couldn't find really what was mm-hmm. happening. Like as you know, sometimes when you you have cancer, some people can't realize it on on oh, time. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's yeah. amazing what yeah. you're telling me. I so, you're, I mean, I'm sure your father must be so proud of everything that you've achieved. Yeah, yeah, he was proud. I want to just ask, I mean, with that in mind, obviously the Olympics is, if you love running and you're a professional runner, uh, that must be the pinnacle of your your career, wanting to go to the Olympics, being able to achieve potentially one day an Olympic medal. Obviously, with that and your father passing away towards the beginning of 2021, and with the Olympics being pushed back because of COVID, that was supposed to happen in 2020. I mean, how did that feel for you? That was most difficult time yeah. of my life because there was time when my father was very, very sick. We are seven in my family. Wow. So <laughs> Do you all run? Yeah, they can run, but they are not interested. Okay. Yeah. Let, let, let me go back when uh, I was in high school. I couldn't, I couldn't go to school like, like any, any other children. Sometimes I had to, to quit some classes. If I may say, like I, I did form A, we call it form A in, in the suit. As I told you that I came from a poor family. So when I was in form one, I had to drop out. Then I, I went, I went to work in farms in Cape wow. Town, but, but I couldn't make it to take myself back to school. Have you, have you managed to finish school now? Yes, yes. So, so, so I worked in a farm. Then I tried to work there just to, to provide for my family. Mm. Because my mom was also looking after my dad. As I said, he was sick. So I worked, I worked in the farm. Then I came back home. I trained. I ran. I went, f- I went for some races, but it wasn't enough for me. So. <sighs> Yeah, let me let me break in there. I think you know Neheng's big breakthrough came last year. You know, the, the, the talent was always there, and when we were hoping for it to qualify in, in Cape Town, she was ter- terribly sick by, just by chance, okay. But the big breakthrough, breakthrough came is because Neheng studied, okay. So when she was studying, it was uh, she never had owned a car at that stage, so she'd, it was she'd go and study, spend time in town, come back, try and train afterwards, etc. But the studying was very important to her, so she did a Diploma in marketing. In marketing, marketing okay. yeah. And uh, wow. and so and so the minute we didn't have the studying, studying, then we had the time to rest. Okay, Every, everything came together. Yeah. So we, so really saw things progress from there. And then she still hasn't she still hasn't finished with the studying. She really wants to get a degree now. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, and uh, but most with all likelihood she'll she'll start at Potch University next year. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. Northwest. It's an amazing journey what you're yeah. telling us. And I mean, yes, Andrea, I see your point of it being very much a business for, you know, those uh, runners all over Africa wanting to get somewhere. But I can see there's a there's a deeper passion lying there. You know, it's that love for running, also a, a need to make it work. And I think you've done so much to get to the point of where you're at right now. It's extremely inspiring. Yeah, I, did, I could tell you a, n- a number of stories of, e- of each athlete yeah. and, you know, with, with, uh, with clocks. Okay, he's going to be running two oceans. One one day we were in Paris and and we were standing. I was trying to find out which tube we were meant to be on. And next thing I looked, he was inside the tube, and the tube was leaving.
leaving. <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, I've, I've had him as well. I've, I've, he's like his family. He says, Coach, I was so tired I fell asleep at the boarding gate. The plane's left. Yeah. Then the first time Nang's husband went to, he went to go and run in Poland, then Berlin half, and he ran in Switzerland. I have a funny number come up on the screen. He says, he says Coach, there's no one here to pick me up. And he's actually at Addison. He's still got. He's still got to go to Paris and then to Poland. And, and at that stage, at that stage, he, he barely spoke English. So, wow. so when when I when he came back, I just I just said, no, we've got to sort this out. So what we do is we've got a, we've got a tutor, and four days a week, you know, he learned learned to speak English, writes incredibly incredibly well. So those those are the big achievements. Those are far far big achievements. Sure. You know, seeing people buy motor cars, build a house, build another house to rent out, those sort of things. Yeah. But it's amazing that it's it's all come through running, mm. uh, and that I think is the the really cool part about it. You know, these guys coming from all types of different backgrounds being thrown into into the European world coming from Africa like you say look at the at, at the same time there's a graveyard that is a hundred times the size of the athletes that have made it yeah, yeah. For sure you know the the saying goes you know if you go to Addis Ethiopia there's the biggest graveyard of athletes that haven't made it you know that's that's the, that's the reality oh, I, one one in a hundred are making it and I mean through your experiences in Kenya and Ethiopia like you said the first time we, we met and we got talking about it from what we see and what we can are exposed to around you, it looks like a pretty cool place to go to. But it, it's not quite like that on, on the other end of it. There's the, a lot more that isn't seen. Yeah, no, the mecca of racing. Look, look. Do, do you know what uh, the co- the coaches in in Kenya and Ethiopia said? If the if those athletes were based in America at, at Flagstaff, etc., etc., or Bold or whatever, they'd perform even better. Yeah, you know, if, if I tell you good accommodation in in E10. You'll have a, a shower that combines as a toilet, and you, you're basically in a concrete box that the air doesn't come in. The food quality is bad. The roads are not ideal to run on, so it's, it's very tough. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a correct mix between you know the environment that you train in. If it's a tough environment, obviously that's going to bring about a tough athlete. But where is that tipping point that you sort of <laughs> you see? I think uh, I think we see a lot of Im- improvements in performance over the last couple of years, and those big improvements come from better quality of life. You know, better recovery, better. You know, better nutrition, etc. All those things make make a big difference. Prolonging careers, for sure. Uh, I was uh, watching what uh, Kipchoge um, documentary, and obviously Kipchoge talks about his upbringing, and obviously coming. He, I mean, he relates to having a a very difficult upbringing, and says that a lot of the the athletes that you know are brought through that system. Uh, that's the difference between Kenyan, Ethiopian athletes, and European athletes. It's that it's that need for success, and it's that um, it is those hard hard living environments and all of that. I don't know what uh, your opinion is. I agree a hundred percent. You know, and, and the, the hunger for success. You know, the first time Nang ran a big marathon, I sat with her and I, I just said to him, understand that, you know, this is the, how you get performances, being able to go deep and, you know, you're going to feel a lot of pain and you've got to accept it. It's part of it, okay? And she laughed at me and she, she just, she just said, coach, running, running is not pain. Yeah, this is not <laughs> difficult. Yeah, she said, she said, you know, working as a young, young lady on, on a farm was, was far harder. We worked so hard that at night time we couldn't sleep at night. We cried in bed. We were in so much pain. So run, running was easy. Unbelievable. But, but Andrew, how do you nurture these relationships with your athletes through these cultural and language barriers that you know are evident as you've shown us? 
You know what, uh, look, I'll be honest that uh, every week I have a number of people that ask me to, to coach them and I invariably just I'm busy, I don't have time, etc. But you've got to find someone that you can work with, that, that, that you've got belief in and that's got to do a thing that's got belief in you. And then um, they want to understand that it's not a quick process. When I first started working with Neheng, we didn't have success initially. Am I right in saying that, Neheng? Yes, gosh. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but, but she, she... That answer was waxed. <laughs> yeah. Same with, same, with, same with her husband. He ran like 224 marathon, and you know, people in the suit laughed at him and said, look look how he's doing now. And then, then we had a breakthrough year where you, where you ran... Uh, 28.30 unbelievable 61.40 yeah. half and then, and then he qualified for the Olympics yeah wow look I think it's uh, it's unbelievable what you're doing with these athletes and uh, you, you are a role model to them in a way as they they clearly trust your processes and I, I, I would like to get more into into the processes themselves you know I, I coach a couple of athletes myself Davey being one of them and like you said yes, coaching yeah, yes coach <laughs> <laughs> you see Nahang we've we, got we, that one we eh? had some success didn't we David yeah <laughs> but uh, it does go through times where that, that relationship is stressed you know you, you feel like you are as a coach you know what you're giving to that athlete you have the process in your head you, you know to trust your own training them trusting in your training is, is another story altogether and does Neheng ever just go off the off the rails and just like she has your program and then she goes and runs a 5k PB on like a Wednesday morning for no reason no I've never had an athlete do anything like it okay no, so that's no. just me then it's just you Davey <laughs> it's just you you know it's, it's very it's very it's very interesting because um, Gabriel Nicoli said to me once he says I never saw a scientist become a good coach so they, they say, you know, is coaching an art or a science? And we believe it's an art. Mm. Well, it's, it's great because the point that I have on here is called the art of running coaching. That is, that is what I wanted to get into. And I think, like you said, you've mentioned a few things. The, the, I think the balance, extremely important. Obviously, knowing exactly what your goals are and being patient within those goals. Like you said, Hank could go and race every second weekend and potentially win a lot of those races. But would she make the same progression in her career path that you see? I think if I think if you if you saw the training that that our athletes do, be it they're training for a ten k up to a marathon or ultra marathon, the training is incred- incredibly simple, and there's, there's absolutely nothing funny. But it's it's the athlete's interpretation of the training that gives you gives the effect on the body is what we're looking for. Earlier, you mentioned that we we're chatting about comrades in the canal wanting to run um, under seven hours, and and you and you sort of indicated that uh, we shouldn't be running over a hundred k's. What is what is in your opinion is a sweet spot uh, training for say a marathon? I, I don't know. You don't know. <laughs> no, look, it, it, it's very simple. Okay, if, if you ask any Kenyan athlete what he runs, he tell you he runs two hundred and twenty k's a week. Mm. But there are two hundred four, two hundred five marathons that run one hundred and twenty k's a week. Some run up to one hundred and seventy k's a week. But uh, if you if you're training in Kenya, you'll see all the athletes start their watch. You'll barely see an athlete stop his watch. The most common use of a heart rate strap is you know, as a clothesline to hang things on. <laughs> yeah, so it's a lot of based on feel. Nahing's uh, nodding her head. You know, Nahing, Nahing's. Do you know how many kilometers a week you run? Not really. Not really. No, so it's, yeah, it's I, I, so could, I couldn't tell you how, how many k's a week Chad is running. I couldn't tell you how many. I, I could. <laughs> we um, sorry. So we follow stats. Like you have no idea. I mean, stats for me. I think stats for a lot of social runners is big because that's how we sort of measure our performance kilometers run per week 
you know your pace all of that i mean we how do you how do you add up kilometers run per week strava <laughs> okay because because warm-ups don't count cool downs don't count and jogging in between doesn't count okay why <laughs> because that's not running that's not running no and let me ask you do you believe in 80 20 80 80 easy 20 hard i wouldn't know eh? yeah <laughs> yeah what it's about is is that, is that you've got sessions in a week, okay, and you need to perform at these sessions. And you know, the other training in between is to, to balance these out, you know, be it easy runs, be it moderate runs, be it regeneration runs, mm-hmm. etc. So, so what it's about is is getting enough recovery that you that you hit the markers and the times you need to in the specific sessions, and that those that that's what gives you the performance at the end of the day. Yeah, I think like Davey mentions, the stats side of it is something that you know a lot of recreational runners utilize as a as a way of keeping up in terms of knowing how they're progressing but I think it completely negates that feel which is, is so important and I'm sure Neheng will, will, will agree with that it's being able to feel your training and know like you're saying her pacer at that at that marathon knew exactly he was going under 330 didn't need a watch he could just feel the pace he knows yeah. his body and I think there's a massive element to running that you know we're not getting exposed to at all because we're so hard up about okay well we've got to do this session at 5 minutes a K and this is going to be 4 minutes a K but that's exactly what what we say what you do is when you've got a training session, you look at the conditions, the terrain you're running on, and then you take the body's internal load. And you take all this into account and you work out what, what you want to do. Getting closer to a race, the watch doesn't tell you, tell you that you're getting into shape. You know, you, it's a feeling that you've got to have. It's a feeling that you've got this extra energy that you're looking after the energy that you've got for, got for race day. Wow. And I just want to bring it back to Nahen quickly. Um, We've been talking about how athletes trusting their coaches is such an important element of the whole athlete and coach uh, relationship. What was sort of the turning point with you feeling like Andrew was the coach for you? Uh, I know you had that performance and, you know, he told you you can, you can do so much better than that. But at what point did you realize, okay, this is going to be the guy that's going to help me get to that point? Thank you. I think the time I ran 233, that, that was the time. Uh, like moving from 241 to, mm. to 233, that was very, very amazing performance. So then I decided, oh, okay, okay, I can do it. I can do this. I can run. This is my time to, to, to listen to coach, to focus, not running every race I want. I wanted to run every race. Like, mm-hmm. coach, so what can I. I run? <laughs> okay, coach, every, every time I'm like, oh, coach, can I run this race? And coach said, no, no, no. <laughs> I hope you're learning something here. I'm learning. I'm just learning that all coaches are the same because <laughs> it's like I'm looking for a coach who's just going to give me the green light for whatever I want to do. And that's why I'm not an elite, elite athlete. Or maybe you can run a 233 marathon and then we can talk. I'm trying. The hang, that 233 is not your PB. No, 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 no. What is your PB? 228.06. 228.06. When was that? Last year. Amazing. Um, Hing, I just want to ask, in terms of supplementation, what does your supplement plan look like during a marathon like that? Actually, I'm using CC gel. Yeah, science and sport. Uh, oh, you're using the isotonic gels. Is it the isotonic gels? Those like longer ones? No. No. The, which ones? <laughs> or is that a secret? Can we not? Can we, 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 can't, we can't know that one. We'll take it off air. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, no it's fine. I, I, I don't know if the product is here, but uh, we, yeah, we just use one of, one of the products of just maltodextrin. Yeah. yeah. I okay. actually, I, I do say to Davey, I enjoy that science and sport all the time. It's, it's hard to actually get our hands on it up here. This can usually stock some, but... But, but yeah, to, to be dead honest, the... 
the race day nutrition that has a very small part to play. Yeah, okay. You know, so leading up to it then, Heng, what's your um, what's your favorite, I mean, not your favorite, but a typical day look for you, look like for you when you're following an eating plan. Do you follow a, a specific uh, meal plan? Yes, I, I did. The first time I came here in January, I did. I was on diet. On diet? So, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's very... It's very tough to follow the diet, like eat well every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah when, when we say diet, we, we, we're saying about getting in the right, yeah. in the, getting in the right foods. Yeah. Right. But but you know what? Athletes don't. Athletes just eat generally a high. All, well, all, all your endurance athletes in the running world eat a very high carbohydrate diet. So mm-hmm. what we're looking at is that you've got enough enough fuel to fuel the body to do the workouts. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, and then the, the athletes just taking additional carbs on on the day. No, no, no. Additional carbs the day before the race. To, to maximize the carb stores then they will in the morning what they'll do is they'll just top up the carb stores you know, they'll eat a banana and two slices of bread for a half marathon four slices of white bread for a marathon is that right now? yes but yeah and then and then the hour beforehand no 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 fluids and then it's two squirts or three squirts on a mm. table out of the bottle that's it so I think a lot of social runners you know we make eating a huge thing it's a, it's a massive thing for us because obviously we're looking left looking right where can we find improvements how are we going to get that you know better performance so we over overcomplicate it especially you know race day and nutrition uh, that is something that I think a lot of social runners you know really uh, zone in on but from what I'm hearing it's it's definitely not going to make or break the performance no no I think all money the money spent on on supplements and all these things if that same money was just spent on better quality food you'd be far better off really yeah and talking about that food what what, what is it that you enjoy what's your, what's your favorite meal pizza <laughs> burger say the day the day before the day before a marathon what you're going to be eating it can be chicken, rice before the race. I think uh, every time before the race, I I had to watch carefully what I eat so that I don't have runny stomach yes. or whatever so, I can. So um, you don't have a curry before you run. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it depends what you what you going for. If you run a marathon, like you, yeah. you must be strict. I think your stomach uh, is a lot more susceptible to issues over <laughs> over two and a half hour than. Yeah. Do you know what? If the guys understand how you know, how everything worked, you know, basically what happens is that to have gastro stress is, is is basically that the athlete is taking too much too much carbohydrate and gel or drink, etc., and that sits in your stomach. Mm. And once it's sitting in your stomach, the, the stomach doesn't absorb because the stomach says I'm too full. That's when you run out of carbohydrates. So so you need to do the do the simple calculations of what the body can absorb. An athlete that weighs 50 kgs, an athlete that weighs 70 kgs or, or 90 kgs, both athletes have a st- stomach emptying rate that's exactly the same. And so, so what you can do is you can, you, you can train the stomach to be able to absorb more carbohydrate, and so you're basically force-feeding the stomach in training. Yeah, but I've heard of that, that term, training your stomach. 100%. So elaborate a bit on that. What it's about is to see the as high a concentration of carbohydrate the athlete can take, and, uh, you know, in marathons, there's a table every every five k's. So you're going for your you, you have a bottle every mm. five k's. So in training, you you need to mimic that. Okay. And I mean, in training with that, then are you mimicking the eating on the longer runs, or are you also mimicking it on the interval sessions where obviously the athlete is running at the marathon pace? It's a lot harder to eat at, at three minutes session. twenty than it is at eating at four minutes a k. Uh, no, we do all all training in a fasted state. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Everything. Yes. You know, I, I've been lied to then. I wake up and I now have to eat and... No, no, no. All, all, 
all athletes in in, in Kenya you know, trained early in the morning at, you know, at five, 5 o'clock they awake yeah. and they would have just had water gosh okay that's interesting yeah I don't um, I also personally don't eat anything before training the only time I'll eat something is before I race there then I'll right. make sure I'm up two hours earlier and I'm two getting something hours, in yeah. Andrew what's your <laughs> opinion hours. on uh, banting never heard of it okay great <laughs> so uh, a higher higher fat diets in athletes athletes that want to not follow the carbohydrate route have you seen anything like that in have your... you never heard of anting no I've heard I've heard of it but, <laughs> there but, you go but, uh, <laughs> but no no athlete requires carbs high carbohydrate yeah and yeah. then and then obviously going into the race low low fiber in the diet yeah okay. and I just want to take it back to the hang in that in that 228 that 228 was your qualifier for the Tokyo oh, Olympics yes so now you've been to Tokyo, you ran in the Olympic marathon. Yes. How was that experience on your side? And then also, Andrea, I want to see your experience of it. Was that your first Olympics? Correct. So Neheng? Yes, that, that was my first uh, Olympics also. I did enjoy it. It was very, very nice. That was amazing. It was very, very hot on a race day. You got no idea how hot it was. Like We had to run on ice on us mm. wow because oh, it, cause it yeah. wasn't in Tokyo it was far from Tokyo hey? yeah it was Sapporo. in Sapporo it was very hot got to run clever race so that you got to the finish otherwise you'll be dead on the way I, I saw lots of people putting ass down their pants yeah yeah it was yeah up. look look um, you know what I think just just to get there was was when you was winning the race because the suit had had incredibly bad weather, which was down to my, minus eight, eight degrees. The athletes needed to get to get uh, vaccinated. They were taken to South Africa at four o'clock in one morning, arrived home twelve o'clock at night. Uh, Neng, we couldn't find Neng. That's so in the afternoon we sent the doctor to go and look for it. She was still lying in bed after the vaccination. And yeah, so Neng went on antibiotics twice. Wow. She, she was sick twice before Tokyo and still sick on the on the plane. And from from my side, we just had the looting the looting yeah. in and and you know after that, uh, just five days to go. So I locked myself away. Now I went into self isolation because I needed two negative COVID tests. So thank goodness I got I got those. those and then, clear. Yeah, and then then it was also another long story to get there. Long long flights via Singapore. We got to Tokyo in the early hours of the morning. But thank goodness we had ten days there before the race and. Moving to Sapporo, we had to, we had enough time to actually do some training and reactivation of the body there. But the heat was uh, was incre- incredibly hot. But it worked out a uh, you know, fueling strategy that that worked. So, what the fueling strategy was to to have a far di- diluted carbohydrate drink, so you, so you get in you get enough More liquid. Water, yeah. So you get enough liquid in, and, and it, uh, it was fine. The thing was passed by three athletes on the last K. But I mean, the, I really believe things on a on an upward trend now. You know, you're running mm. far faster over 10k, and you know everything's in the right direction. So we're going to see some big performances. You know, but let's just hope everything opens properly because road running is still in a very bad state at the moment. I think, in terms of with regards to that point in particular, I would hope to see that you know we are going in the right direction. All the international marathons starting to open up, especially. I mean, here in South Africa, we're certainly getting a lot more races. Uh, I know a lot of races are limiting their entries, but I don't think they're actually limiting entries. I think they they're saying there's only two thousand entries, yeah. but you get there on Look, there, there's like four thousand people sure. lining up. Yeah, the biggest thing from from a, an elite perspective is you have the what we call the label races. So these are World Athletics recognizes races where the athletes score big points, etc. Mm. And over 
90% of all those races are in China. And, wow. and China's the stepping stone for all athletes to, you know, a lot of your major winners would have run their first couple of races in China. There's good money there, and the whole of China is closed at the moment. So the, call it the budget or the, the money in, in the sport, in the elite sport at the moment, is, is, is about 30% of what there was prior to COVID. Unbelievable. Yeah. And I mean, now taking into account this, this scholarship, this Olympic scholarship that you're talking about, obviously the 2024 Olympics, is that a big goal for you guys? as a team training towards in terms of that marathon trying to beat that 233 that you achieved in, in Tokyo yes most definitely yeah. most definitely yeah. Yeah. and then things what decides and what time she'd like to run in the next race and we're working towards it that's brilliant Andrew there's been quite a few people that have asked us to ask you this question if you had one tip for a you know up and well, not even up and coming but social runner one pro tip to follow what would it be every morning when each of my athletes wake up and they and they go out to run they drink 250 mils of water and then they do what we call a pre-run okay they, they run for 10 minutes at an incredibly slow, slow pace how many how many k's you cover in the first 10 minutes one point mm, something yeah one point one, eight that's going fast so, so that's like six seven minutes okay kind of yeah so, yeah, so, yeah. so they, they do 10 minutes of easy of really easy running just let the blood throw through the body let the ligaments tendons warm up and then they they will they'll start their normal run okay that that is the biggest thing you can do for injury prevention so water and in that really slow engagement run 100 percent. i'm going to start doing that and just off of that injury prevention i mean how do you sit with in terms of the strength training element and the cross training element to running (laughs) what you say is the the first phase of training is immediately after your last race so immediately after a race is complete rest for 10 to 14 days and you assess if the athlete is, is fine after that to, to start training and then immediately what you do is you do 10 days of easy running then, then we start the strength training you know, when the body is at its absolute best it's actually at its weakest as well really? yeah so you know the, the, the body's basically on the limit okay so so then what will happen is we'll, we'll do strength training training three times a week so strength can be circuit training in the gym hill hill running etc that's that strength training and that will last for four, four to six weeks and then after that period that you know the athletes don't do the talk really so then they just focus on on the running you know you, you can have you can have some mobility work mm. and some ex- exercises etc but you know the, the strength work will take away from the quality re- required in the specific workouts I'm looking at Nick over here because I, I do um, strength training with Nick twice a week at the moment and that's very interesting because it's not my favorite thing to do um, I would much rather just uh, focus on my running when I'm training for something so yeah that's very interesting to hear definitely something I'm going to take up <laughs> he's going to take art. it up with me off of there but I think there's there's a good level of balance that you need and you know with Davy in particular there are things that you know strength training can be many things as you mentioned it can be mobility it can be hill work it can be a whole bunch of array I think a lot of it comes down to coordination as well and you know if you look at an athlete like Nehang a world beating athlete she's clearly got the right running form she's clearly got the right coordination as a runner to be able to sustain I know where you're going with this <laughs> whereas if you know you look at someone like Davy and he can hold a, a good pace for 5k 
Ks, 10 Ks, you look at them at the end of a marathon and it's a different story. So I think there's a there's a big element of muscle memory there that, you know, the endurance type of strength training can do for uh, a, a lower level athlete. But yeah, it's interesting that that's, that's Low, what, lower level. Well, run, run a 228 <laughs> marathon and then we can speak. Yeah, I think what Nick's saying is um, I still have a lot. I mean, is it a big difference between elite and then, you know, your everyday runner? So I think, yeah, I, my coordination isn't there. I have extremely weak hamstrings, glutes. Like, I'm not, I'm not strong. So in order to get stronger and become a, a stronger athlete, I do need to, you know, continuously work on that strength training. Obviously, once that strength is there, then maybe it's a different story. And maybe we can tone it down a little bit. Yeah, but it's also it's also to to know when is the right time to do the strength training. Yeah, you know, like you know, we'll often do can do hills, okay, and we do we'll do hills the afternoon before the speed work. Yeah, okay. so so we activate into into the speed work. Okay, you know, so you keep it clo- very close together, so you've got rest days afterwards, and then the the, you know, the, the work with the bike net, mm. the bike kinetic is, is is more mobility work, uh, activation work. Act, activation work, yeah. And Nahang, what is your favorite session? If you had to choose a session, a hill repeat. Fartlek. Fartlek. You love it, eh? I love it. Why? <laughs> I don't know, but I just love it. I love Fartlek. doesn't matter what kind of Fartlek we're doing, whatever Fartlek. Yeah. yeah, we, you know, the, the terminology the terminology we use, you know, Fartlek is any anything, you know, that's, yeah, it can be short fart leg, long fart leg. And mm-hmm. long fart leg can be controlled fart leg where it's a kilometer on, kilometer off, 1K, 5K by 4, 24Ks, classic marathon stuff. So, you know, long fart mm-hmm. leg is always done on the road, that sort of thing. So for someone listening to this podcast who has no idea what fart leg means, can you um, give us like the, the backstory behind it? Where did that name come from? Because, I mean, even me, I'm, I'm like, I've just adopted it. I'm like, yeah, okay, it is what it is, but... Why fartlek? Fartlek is very simple. It's you, you've got a, you've got a volume. You know, mm-hmm. you know how far you want to run, and the volume is time based, etc. And then you've got you've got a you've got a distance, and then you've got a, a recovery. It can be at any different paces. So yeah, the f- initial fartlek was a Swedish word for for speed play, and the Swedes did it very. They increased their performances to an incredible way. So I don't really believe it's done. It's done like it was initially done. Because initially, the, the way the Swedes did it, it was bound so far. Yeah, run to that tree, walk a bit, do this, etc. So now the fartlek. Is, is, is basically very controlled fartlek. Okay. And then and the fartlek is, is staple in Kenya. I'm not going to lie, I always thought it was Afrikaans. No, Swedish. <laughs> it sounds Afrikaans. <laughs> and off of that, Andrew, your sessions, do you, do you work on time-based or kilometer-based or a mixture of those? Everything's effort-based. Yeah, we, we, we talk of we talk of regeneration runs. We talk of easy runs. We talk of moderate runs. We talk of fast, moderate, etc. And that's all to do with internal load of the body. And then, um, yeah, it, it's it's most it's mostly time-based. And then, yeah, sometimes I will use kilometer based if I've got men and women together. And if, if you've got different levels of athletes, because everyone's got to run forty-two k's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't help if you say if you say to. No, Dave, you go and run seventy minutes. Nahim, sure. you go and run seventy minutes. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to so be a bit of a gap. And that way, kilometer base is is better. But it all boils down to the same thing. And with Nahim, I mean, have you? How long have you been training in Peter Maritzburg for? And and why Peter Maritzburg coach? Altitude, <laughs> altitude, eh? No, it's, it's not, not really. It's, it's not high enough. Not at altitude, but but if you go and if you go and look carefully at at altitude and at sea level, you can create the same performances if you are at altitude or at sea level. Really. Yes. So the big thing was altitude. You can't work as hard there. At sea level, you can work far harder. Yeah, because because you, your body recovers recovers a lot better. Okay. So you're saying then, if we want to mimic altitude training, we just train harder at sea level, or 
you can train harder at sea level. If you, if you went to altitude now and you start training, you, know, you, you, yeah. you just wouldn't be able to do as much because you need far more recovery. And I mean, growing up in Lesotho, that altitude, do you, do you feel like that's given you an upper hand when, when you go to a sea level race? Yes, it's much easier here. So in Lesotho, it's very hard. You ran up hard. the hills, down the hills, yeah, up I, the I, hills. Like, yeah, I think it's the, crazy. I think the reason for Fornehang spending a period of time here was you know, to be able to train with with other athletes and uh, you know, just to have just to just to we decided was to spend a, a block of time to to actually you know learn to interpret training correctly, okay, and to be able to take that information back home. Brilliant, coach. Yes, I'm now an athlete who's wanting to improve and. I'm not too sure on how to go about do it, uh, doing it. I know you've spoken a little bit about systems and how you would have a sort of different approach based on the athletes themselves, uh, their background. But what, what's, what's the special recipe? It, uh, the, I would say for a social runner, there are two ways to go about it, okay? Nowadays, there's, there's so much inf- information available, there's so much to read, and uh, I think the trick is to, to read a lot and to listen a lot and then to, to work something out from there. Now, if you try to do a copy and paste and fit too much in, it's not going to work. So educate yourself and, and try and understand what you're trying to achieve with the training and not, not copy the training. And, it can, and some people find that enjoyable to sort of work out their own training, do their own things, see how they progress, etc. The next thing is, is I'd, I'd say it's always good to find find a coach, and a coach that, that trains a number of athletes uh, or uh, a number of social athletes, and and just to to ask the coach about his training, you know, ask him, you know, what what he sees and what he recommends, and you know how he works with the number of hours you've got available. And then just look at the look at the coach and chat to a couple of the athletes he's got and you know see if it's going to you know fit. You know does does he have a group with you happy? Do they run at the right times? You know are they mates of yours? That sort of thing. So you don't have to be an elite to have a coach. No, no, you don't. But uh, but I'd like to I'd like to think the you know, the coach is just you know there for motivation and to give you some guidance. For sure, I think I think that's a key element when it comes to coaching. It's the motivational side of it the athletes you know he they know that they can trust your process and it's always easier for an athlete to conceptualize what they need to do when they know there's someone else there watching them and making sure that they're doing it correctly and there's a reason behind it all look i, th- I think it's always the case uh, it's very easy to coach but the the trick comes in what what to do when something goes wrong your athlete gets picks up a niggle someone goes down with flu you know so a, a good coach is un- understanding how to get this athlete back to where he was how long to rest for etc that's it, that, that's the that's the most difficult thing you know i've had, i've learned over the years of i've had uh, you know, I've had athletes that have, had, have been injured and have had some some large appearance fees, four races, etc. We've had we've had very short periods of time to get an athlete ready for an event. Okay, and you, that that's how you actually learn. An example was Nang being incredibly sick before Tokyo. You had to you had to go. You wanted to run well, so you you, you each time you learn from those you know, situations, or you've had previous situations where you've had limited time to prepare an athlete, and and you've had to ask for advice, see what works. So so we know those things. So that can we know how to how to restart training, how to get an athlete into shape in a short short time. The biggest thing is we believe as you know, I believe as a coach, if I've got two weeks before an event, it's a massive amount of time. We can change the athlete's form in that time. Wow. 
And I mean, how, if you, if you don't mind me asking, how can you change an athlete's form in, in just two weeks of training leading up to a marathon? I mean, taking into account the tapering process, how, how do you even go about tapering? We only hear the, the word tapering with, with uh, social runners. Okay. It's, it's, it, we never heard the term. It's good to know. Yeah, very good. I've never heard the term uh, taper amongst, amongst elites. Uh, amongst elites, yeah. So, you know, you, you just have, you might have a decrease in volume, last workout a certain date but you you, you, know, you you still need to the body still needs to keep taking along yeah you, you might you, you might do fast workouts but not produce too much lactate etc but yeah it's uh yeah there's, there's different ways of it but you know how how you do certain sessions what type of work the athlete requires you know at what intensities you know that that's how you do it brilliant brilliant Davey, I'm, I'm, off just, I'm just trying to take it all in to be entirely yeah. honest i think davy's world is turned upside down i think he came in here knowing what he was doing and leaves here I'm, feeling I'm puzzled I'm he's going to have to listen to this a few times to, to get to the to the heart of it guys listen here the, I'm, I'm learning every day and, and, uh, and I'm consciously wanting to learn okay I speak to I speak to coaches on a regular basis. I, I sit every 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 week. I'm with Willie Motolo on the side of the track. I talk a couple of times to to Hendrik Ramala in uh, out of Zoo Lake. I speak every day to Chris Brewer in Cape Town. I I speak once or twice a week to Gabriel and Nicola in wow. E10 in Kenya. And you know we all share ideas and we all we all we all keep on learning. So it's a constant uh, evolving situation. How to manage these athletes? Yes. I, I, Take an example, okay? We've we've seen the half marathon record go from just under fifty nine to fifty seven. Okay, yeah. that, that that is because of, of, of a new. They, they found something different in training. Okay, they've been able. To, we've, we've now we're able to get athletes to run run with a heart rate associated with the ten k for twenty one k's. That's just just an example. Sure. And I mean, yeah, twenty k for those of you that are listening. Uh, there's a there's a big difference between running hard for twenty one k's and running hard for ten k's. Hey, mm-hmm. hang. Uh, <laughs> And, and interestingly enough, that that came about, uh, you know, during uh, during lockdown in in ten, where the athletes weren't allowed access to the track, so they were they had to use other fartlek sessions. Okay, they're using two fartlek sessions a week, and all of a sudden they found cheapest. So we've seen something different in the athletes doing different work. Now, hang on a on a race. What does your heart rate get up to uh, on a big ten k effort? Do you know? I mean, I, I believe they use uh, heart rate straps for. <laughs> For washing lines or <laughs> correct. Yeah. It, do you follow your heart rate? I, I mean, any idea? Yes. <laughs> I, I would like to say no. I've got to. <laughs> I, I've got. I've got to ask a couple of times for the watches to be downloaded. Oh really? Yes. It's not. It's not a common thing that happens. No. It's a. It's a. It's a social runner thing. We love watching our heart rate. Eh? Ah, well, we learn something new every day, Davy. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much again for for coming through. We've honestly we've learned a hell of a lot sitting here across from you. Hang, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to meet you and knowing your journey. Uh, I have no doubt that you that you're going to achieve the things that you set yourself out to achieve. You've done already such incredible things, but it sounds like you've got the the right the right man for the job next to you. So we really look forward to to following you and hoping for something good come Tokyo. I mean, come Paris nice. in in 2024. And Andrew, just thank you. Yes, guys, absolute pleasure to be here. And uh, the biggest thing to all the runners out there is that there's no sport without you guys. And yeah. and uh, and all the the elite athletes they know that and you know you know I look at someone like Nehang Kadastain 
okay, these people are so accessible to everyone. You know, the, sure. and it's for the reason being that they understand that what they earn is, is by having other runners out there. So mm. it's, as, it's as simple as that. Yeah, and they, they are role models for, for runners. And it's always, it's always one of those things. Runners can't conceptualize how fast these guys are. It's, yeah. It's actually mind-blowing. And it's always on, on different levels. You know, for a runner that runs six minutes a K, someone who runs five minutes a K feels like out of out of proportion like for us someone that runs like you it's just like wow mind blowing listen here I, I think I think you guys need to get out of the studio we need to take you to <laughs> Sutu sometime yes oh, we're gonna we're yes. gonna be put through the pain but we definitely will come it's very tough there okay and but but it's it's fantastic. It's to to me it's it's some of the best times I have when I when I can get get away there for a week or two weeks. And the minute I pass the, the minute I've crossed the border, I'm just in another world. And, mm. and it's just I, I feel the peace there, the tranquility there. I, and yeah, in the summertime, the air is you know it's hot during the day, but the air is so crisp, so crisp and fresh in the morning. And mm. yeah, the sun sets at night time. We 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 we're looking for our we're waiting for our invite. Okay. Super. Thank you so much for being our first official guest on Making a Runner. We really do appreciate it. I think it's been so special having a, a athlete, a hang, and a coach, just like Nick, yeah. a coach, myself, social athlete. Um, we, we really do appreciate it, and it has been it has been mind blowing. I'm a bit perplexed. It's going to take me a while to um, figure all of this out. But um, that's, that's what it's all about. <laughs> that's hey? what it's all about. We, yeah? we learn every day how to make better runners, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Once again, guys, this episode wouldn't have been made possible without the support from On The Move by 4Bros. On Running believe that their cloud tech soul is the key to unlocking your running potential. The multi-directional cushioning system active during landing reacts to your unique movements and is designed to be the perfect balance between cushion landings and explosive takeoffs, providing a unique running experience. Having run in a range of these shoes, I can testify to this feeling. But don't just listen to me, try it for yourself. I really encourage you to pop into one of their stores and chat to their friendly and knowledgeable staff where you can expect to find your favorite on-running shoes and apparel. Alternatively, make sure to check them out online at onthemovestore.com. We're excited to be associated with such a forward-thinking and inventive brand and look forward to bringing you more insightful conversations in episodes to come. Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Making a Runner. If you enjoy this podcast, you can listen to it on Spotify, Apple Music. And don't forget to go give us a follow on Instagram at Making a Runner to follow the journey of our guests and our podcast and catch up on the latest news. Bye for now. Cheers, guys.